Hi, and welcome to uh, Cali's Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, my name is Amit Cali, Assistant Head Teacher at Hasmanian High School for Boys. Uh, and the purpose of this podcast is really to support our parents and students um, whilst we navigate this very uncertain world that we're in. And each, each time we have this podcast, we'll have some special guests with us to, to, to support. And today I'm delighted to say that we've got Mr. Yaakov Barr. Um, I've got Mr. Yaakov Barr here with me, Clinical Supervisor for BABCP, uh, a cognitive behavioural therapist who works predominantly with adolescents in areas such as anxiety and their wider mental health. Uh, Mr. Barr, firstly, thank you very much for being here. Pleasure, lovely to be here. Thank you. And I guess it's, it's going to be fairly conversational, uh, as most podcasts are. So forgive us in advance if there are any uh, uh, sort of, you know, conversational um, mistakes or anything like that. But what I'm going to do is just put some questions to you, Mr. Barr, if you don't mind. And the focus today really is uh, mental health and COVID, and it's to support our parent body. Uh, today's focus is really our parent body and to support them with uh, navigating COVID uh, and their sort of teenage children. We've, we've noticed quite a few issues since the lockdown, during the lockdown, uh, and, and since we returned to school with, with a number of our students, ranging from behavioural problems to uh, increased levels of anxiety um, and, and things like that. So I guess it's just for me to put some questions to you, if you don't mind, and, and you to just yeah. give us your, 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 really your expert advice and, and strategies for our parents on how they can, how they can cope. So I guess first question from me really is, in, the, in, in your field of work, in your line of work, have you noticed in, in more recent months since COVID has hit us, and certainly since the lockdown onwards, have you noticed an increase in mental health issues and anxiety amongst teenagers in the community? Uh, I think absolutely, yes. But probably not just amongst the teenagers. I think, I think it's one of those um, situations where everybody is suffering. Um, it, it's almost um, meant that it could well be that we're having this conversation now as a result of everything that's happened in the last few months and people are starting to feel in a way more comfortable because we're all sharing difficulties, we're all sharing um, stresses and worries. Yeah. Um, I think I think in some way teenagers are suffering, younger children are suffering. I've been sort of done doing some work with some of the primary schools, um, adults and parents and older people, each per, each sort of age level according to you know what you know, they're, what where they're up to in their life and what what the challenges are but i think everybody this is sort of a united challenge which means that we can talk about uh, i think it gives us a great platform to also be able to talk about mental health and to be able to say this is a situation that is affecting the world that is obviously yeah. unprecedented i mean it is one of those unique things isn't it it's, it's as you mentioned it's, it really is one of those we're in this together kind of thing because whether you're a baby or whether you're in your 80s or 90s, it's, it's something that everybody in the country and across the world really is, is facing. So I'm sure the mental health issues have increased across the field. Yes, um, yes. But obviously for, for the purpose of this podcast, we're really looking at how it's affected children, boys and girls between the ages of sort of really 11 to 18, the hour, our sort of school, senior school kind of ages. Um, so what, since the lockdown, I guess the lockdown was the first thing that we all experienced, really most of us, the first time in our lives we experienced such, a, such an event of totally shutting down from yeah, society yeah. and being forced by law really to, 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 to follow a number of things and, and, and we weren't allowed to a number of things. Do you think or did you notice at that time or were you interacting with anybody at that time that some of our students uh, and students in the community were finding that a very difficult thing to deal with? Well uh, definitely I mean if you if you look at the sort of dif different types of emotional health problems that are so common so if you let, take someone something like depression you know we all know if we're locked in and we can't have our regular outlets and um, we're unable to go out, 
and the things that we, we used to enjoy we're now cut off from, that is going to affect our mood. If that goes on, um, you know, sometimes if we have some holidays and it's, it's just very rainy, we feel fed up, we feel low, and that goes on for now for a few months and we feel like that, that is going to have an effect. And therefore, yes, we've definitely seen a lot of teenagers having sort of low mood, feeling a bit depressed, a bit, a bit angry. So sometimes, um, often people assume that teenage depression is just, um, you know, feeling very sad, but often it comes out in more anger and frustration. So on that point, actually, teenage depression, for the parents listening, for everybody listening, really, what would be signs? Because it's a strong word to use, depression, and it's probably a strong word for parents or for anybody to acknowledge that, yes, I am depressed, or yes, my child is depressed. What kind of signs could our parents look out for in their, in their children to, to, to see teenage depression is one of the things that they're exhibiting? Well, it's a good question, and we're, we're always with signs. We, we can't latch on to that we see one sign and then suddenly, oh my gosh, what's happened to my, to my child? Uh, but we're often looking for sort of a group of signs, and it has to be over a period of time. Um, so the official, um, the, the way we would diagnose someone with, uh, you know, with depression would be if, if certain symptoms lasted for two weeks or more. My feeling is that because of what everything that's going on, two weeks might be a bit short. We'd have to maybe look at something over, let's say, three or four weeks. Um, but we're very much looking at, is this child gone from someone who used to enjoy certain activities and now no longer interested? So would sport be an example? Yeah, sport, or they, or they used to like um, going out with their friends or just chatting with friends. Yeah. Now they seem to be a bit yeah. withdrawn. They seem to be in their room a lot more than they used to be. Um, are they much more irritated? Are they sort of, are there much more like fights at home? And I, can, I can just imagine parents thinking, oh my gosh, um, you know, that's exactly what's happening. And could, part part of that, could part of that not have been because, you know, if you're in a house of, let's say, six, seven people, could part of the fighting more have just been simply because you're on top of each other. Exactly, right? yes, yes. That's and not necessarily the pressure. For sure, and that's why um, sort of a clinician will often look at, you'd, you'd have to get a full range and be able to see, is this child, let's say, or, you know, academically, has 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 the the team gone from someone who's been performing well to someone dropping out again? That could be attributed to the fact there's been school disruption. But is it part of a wider picture? If generally we've seen that a you know that a child has gone from being someone who's been pretty positive and happy to now suddenly um, quite angry, withdrawn, maybe even teary, um, that would indicate that there might be a problem. Fine, thank you. So, I mean, yeah, that, that I guess during the lockdown, it was lockdown now seems like it was a long, long time ago. Yeah. But uh, at the time of recording, you know, on today's day, 15th of October, where we're in really uncertain times. Um, just today, it was announced that London's moving up to tier two. Uh, of course, these whole tiers could be removed. We could go into a circuit breaker, as the opposition is calling for. Uh, going forward, how might a parent see signs of anxiety or, you know, depression, whatever it might be, in their child? As we approach these uncertain times, or as we're in these uncertain times. Well, I mean, I think you're 100% uh, right on that. Um, anxiety, very much at the root of anxiety, is uncertainty. Um, there's probably never been times that have been as, as uncertain, because we've always, human, human beings, we sort of thrive on control. We like to have solutions. We like to know, okay, if something's going to happen, okay, this is what we're going to do. Well, you know, we're living in times where we don't really see clear ways out. There's different yeah. ideas. Uh, so it is a big challenge, and we, therefore we will, we can definitely expect that there's going to be a lot of anxiety, not only amongst students, but also amongst parents. And we're all sort of in the, we're in the unknown, and the unknown is for many people huge anxiety provoking. I mean, it's um, scary, isn't it? I guess it's, it's yeah, probably a bit yeah. of fear as well. If we if 
we're brave enough to admit it. Some of us are probably quite scared. Yeah, so I mean, we're so connected with the news, uh, which is one of the problems. We're going to discuss maybe later on about certain strategies of what we can do. But the news, as much as we like to be informed, if if we're too too much news and we're hearing these stories, which nowadays we can we can find out anything. I mean, I, I know I remember you know I know someone that I've been seeing currently. He's got an app that he can get um, a notification every time there's a COVID-related death in the country. Can you imagine what that's going to do for his mental health? Why would you? Why would you? Because um, what happens is because we're so desperate to have control. We believe that the more information that we have, the more we can feel settled, we know what's going on. So there's a greater drive to, to sort of be um, completely swamped with more information in because we, we, we perceive that that now we're going to know, okay, that if we're fully informed, then yeah. it's going to help us out to actually makes it a lot worse. Watching the news at home, I make sure I'm you know, sat on TV from 10 o'clock to just find out what's going on COVID-related because I want to know what's happening up and down the country. I want to know what situation is, I want to know whether a lockdown is approaching, I want to know whether schools are shutting down. I don't think that's very good for my mental health, but you've mentioned somebody who's got an app that tells them about every single death. I mean, how far do you think people should go in terms of having understanding or knowledge of COVID? Well, I think this is a way part of the, a, a wider discussion, which has already been discussed for a, for a while, because we've got social media, we've got sort of up-to-the-minute reports. Are we all getting overloaded with the news? Most of the news are very negative. Um, you know, one of my kids was noticing when they were looking at all the newspaper on the newspaper stand. Every single headline is dramatic. It's it's designed to shock us. It's designed um, for us to then open the paper. There's no nice, pleasant, happy news. So you, do you recommend then that perhaps we just stay away from this kind of information? I mean, it's there. It's always there, isn't it, on every app that we open? Absolutely. I mean, there's already been uh, a big drive even before before this in the last in the sort of recent years, where with this idea of a digital detox where people start having time away from the news, away from their phone, and especially now. And if, if we're going to cope through um, you know, the next few months, we're going to have to be able to say, you know, there's a time for news and there's a time for the other things. We have to make a deliberate effort to sometimes put the phone away, put all the news stories away, even at the dinner table, not to talk about the latest government regulations and what's that, did you hear about this story and this person's not well, to be able to say, let's deliberately say let's talk about some other things just so yeah. that we can have a bit of a breather it's just very hard to do isn't it i guess yeah i should just apologize to anybody listening for any background noise that you can hear We're, we are in a, a fully functioning at least for the moment a fully functioning school uh knocks on doors and beeps and, and the things like that so apologies uh if any of that is being picked up by the sound but uh Mr. if we just go back to some of the th things that we were talking about so we've talked about the, the idea of a digital detox i guess and that's good for that's good for young people and for adults i guess um but um what kind of strategies that do you think our, our parents can... Because some parents might have a house of, you know, four or five children, two or three of whom are absolutely fine, at least at the surface absolutely fine, uh, and two or three of whom are struggling. So for, for a parent who, let's say at the moment, working from home but working full-time, uh, might have their own anxiety issues based on uncertainty around their own jobs and the, around their own, you know, futures there, what strategies can we sort of recommend or can you recommend to our parents to help deal with let's start with i guess deal with the anxiety and the issues around their children first okay so is it i mean it's an interesting point that you mentioned that two of the kids in your example look like they're fine i think you know there's so many times where i come across um, you know different adolescents that the parents were never always were convinced that this particular time was fine we can never assume we always have to be 
keep antenna open and, and parents should look just because you have one child who seems to be sort of sailing through let's not straight away assume that they're 100% fine so, okay let's, say let's that, check in so let's take that example uh, a child who's absolutely fine sailing through on the surface no problems yeah what should a parent do to just to ensure just to make sure that child actually is fine I think we just often um, we just need to check in we, 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 mu we mustn't assume Let, let's have chats about it let's say things like you know at a quiet moment you know how are you feeling um, you know are you are you you know, how do you feel about the fact that uh, just today that London has gone to a high level? Are you worried about it? Are you fine? Well, just have a conversation about it and about, about emotions and feelings that it's okay to talk about. You know, it's so often the, the, the most crucial aspect um, to helping children is just to, to enable them to have an open discussion that they don't have to feel that, oh my gosh, um, what's dad going to think if I talk about this? Um, and, and then through that we can find out so much more about what our children are thinking and feeling. So just regular check-ins basically. Yeah. And can those check-ins, can those check-ins, I mean one of the classic strategies about talking about a difficult issue I guess is, 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 is going for a drive so that you avoid the eye contact just in case it's a touchy subject. I mean would something like that be appropriate for this if, if, if talking somebody directly to their, a parent talking directly to their child was a bit difficult? Could it be something like going for a drive and, uh, well, if you're allowed to at least at the moment? Yeah, going for a drive. I mean, sometimes I've even recommended if, if, if parents are, if, you know, sometimes there's been so many years where parents have never really properly been been able to be um, open with their children, so it's very uncomfortable for everyone. Yeah. Um, even a text, you know, you can WhatsApp, you know, how are you doing? You seem um, a, a, a little bit down today. Is everything okay? You know, that... That's often much easier than talking about it, and that could be a good start. <coughs> Excuse me. Good start. Yeah, question on that. Um, I think all of us often find it's much better, it's much easier, excuse me, hiding behind text than it is having to have a difficult conversation. Is the actual issue being dealt with if you're hiding behind a text, but then you don't talk about it when, when the child returns home from school? You know, you're asking your son in the morning when he goes to school, your daughter, how are you? I noticed last night you weren't feeling so great. And the son or daughter says, yeah, I'm just a bit tense at the moment. But when they get home, it's brushed under the carpet and not spoken about. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that, it's is true. That, I mean, if, if, the, if the text is just going to be sort of just to tick the box, I've checked in and that's it, then you're right. Then everyone just says, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then end of the story. If the text is a, is a way to start a conversation, because nowadays adolescents, you know, are much more comfortable, um, you know, WhatsApping, texting. Absolutely. So, 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 so then yeah. we have to sort of make the most of that. And, and if that's the way the parents, if that's your way in, Go for it. Why not? Yeah, that's 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 great. And what about the the child who is clearly displaying uh, uh, signs of anxiety, difficulty, maybe misbehaving, acting out, uh, upset, crying, whatever it might be? You know, we've talked about the one who looks okay, but might yeah, not yeah. be. What about the one who absolutely <clears throat> doesn't look okay? How might a parent deal with a child like that? Well, I mean, the parents sometimes when it comes to these things, we've we've said already earlier on that we're all going through different challenges um, and parents as much as possible um, have to try and make sure that they're not feeding their own worries and anxieties, stresses and strains onto the children, especially an anxious child. So an anxious child will feed in and will notice that will pick up on it very quickly. Sometimes just uh, it can be subconscious, so even though the parents might not have actually properly discussed it, but if they're displaying anxious behaviours, then an anxious child will, will notice it, will feel it sensitive child so as much as possible we want to try and create uh, a positive front um, 
Yeah, I know it's easier said than done. Of yes. Course. Yes. But in front of the children, definitely we want to try and do that. And then if we do know that the children's got anxiety, again, let's not be worried about confronting and talking about it. Sometimes parents are like, oh my gosh, am I going to now open a whole Pandora's box of, of emotional yeah. health pouring out? So we say, oh, you know, well, let's just avoid it and everything will be okay. So the great, great word that, that so many thousands of parents, and maybe in particularly um, sort of down the in the within the community because of the stigma of emotional health, we've often said, oh, everything will be fine, it'll be okay, it'll go away, he'll grow out of it, she will. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, and that so often doesn't happen. So let's I mean, talk about it. There's an important point you mentioned there, it's the same with me and my own community. Uh, it's a community thing sometimes, isn't it? This idea of this, this stigma around mental health. Uh, it's a community thing, uh, and you know, having worked has made for, for so long, and even in my own community, it is being broken. You know, barriers are being brought down, thank God. And people are talking about it more and more. But well, we're doing this. Well, exactly. I'm hoping. I'm hoping this is sort of <laughs> part of breaking that down. And if, yeah, you know, yeah. even if one parent, as a result of this this podcast, has an open conversation with their child, which they've never done before, absolutely. then I think we've achieved something. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, but do you think? The, do you think that sort of anxiety is uh, around COVID and around dealing with COVID, especially in the Jewish community, where you know there's there's been links to Purim, perhaps resulting in a higher number of sadly, a high number of deaths in the in the elderly in the community because of the gatherings then when we knew less about COVID. Um, you know, do you think that adds increased anxiety within the community? And if it does, what should what should what should the community be doing? What should our parents be doing to deal with that kind of anxiety? The, the genuine fear of death or the genuine fear that a loved one, an elderly one or somebody with underlying conditions, you know, may tragically die? Well, we're, we definitely were faced with that a lot um, when we originally went into lockdown. There was a lot of stories coming out from the community, yeah. and there was definitely a high instance of, uh, you know, the death rate was much higher. Unfortunately, definitely. Yeah. Sure, there, and a lot of boys and girls would have known somebody that either was seriously ill or died, and something that would have had huge, you know, emotional ramifications. Um, and, you know, again, we go back to the sort of parents, just as much as parents can do to be there for their children, that... You know, if the child feels there's someone there for them, that they can talk about it, um, then at least they feel supported. We may not, we don't always need to um, have the answers, but we do want to encourage them to ask the questions. That's beautifully put. Um, and my next question to you actually is going to be, who's there for the parents? You know, it's, 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 it's very easy to say the parents need to be there for the kids. I appreciate that because kids are much yeah. younger uh, and they perhaps don't have the emotional intelligence to deal with situations as adults do. But... You know, if we have, I mean, we're going to have parents here who sadly lost maybe their own parents or, 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 or you know, people that they were close to. It's easy for us to sit here and say, yeah. Yeah. who's there for them if they're not coping? How are they going to be able to support their children who might not be coping? Absolutely. I, I mean, um, and that's why it's just the one that, you know, the parents very often, if you want to help someone else, they always say, you know, we say, love thy neighbour like thyself. Yeah. First, you've got to like thyself and then you can love thy neighbour. So liking thyself also means looking after yourself. And parents, very often, the first thing to help your children is actually to help yourself, which means checking in with yourself. It sounds like getting a bit weird, and many people will say <laughs> the therapists are but, um, a bit weird, but that's, we'll, we'll leave that conversation for another time. I wouldn't dare. But we need to check, every person has to check in to themselves and say, you know, how am I doing? Am I okay? Am I myself suffering from anxiety? And do I need to um, some reinforcements, emotional reinforcements. Do I need to take a visit to the GP? Do I need to look at to what therapeutic help that I can get? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so parents, yes, do have to sometimes ask. Because ultimately, I mean, parents are not going to be able to support their children if parents themselves are facing 
severe anxiety, depression, or, or mental health issues. So I guess, yeah, I think the point you made there is, is, is spot on. And then it's interesting because when it comes to COVID, what we noticed was that the parents that were very anxious and um, they, they were sort of displaying a lot of safety behaviour, so maybe they were overly washing their hands and overly particular about um, contamination germs. There's a very, very fine line between sort of not caring and caring too much, but if you yeah. care too, too much, then you know, then the, we noticed that a lot of the children coming from those families um, were coming into school much more anxious because they didn't know how to reconcile what's going on at home to what's going on in school. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and then, you know, we have got students like that in school. We're, we're a big school. You know, each school has five or six hundred boys and girls in it. Uh, and we do have uh, students who come from homes where COVID is not a big deal. Yeah. And perhaps COVID isn't an issue and just get on with your life. But we also have students that come from homes where COVID is a massive deal. Uh, and COVID may, you know, <sighs> make a parent seriously ill or, God forbid, take the life of a parent. Um, so I guess for us as educators to deal with, I mean, even, even for us, I mean, how, how, how can we deal with the, the, the spectrum of students that we have uh, in a school that has such a different reaction to COVID? Because that's what we're seeing in the public now, especially now. There's a bit of a, um, people are getting a bit tired of, of COVID, I think. And yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I've just been, again, watching the news, sorry, forgive me. But you see some of the reaction to uh, localised lockdowns and people are not happy. They don't want to go into this kind of lockdown situation again. So I guess everyone's got a different opinion uh, on the matter. But if I could just change the, 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 the tangent slightly and talk about the impact that COVID has had perhaps on behaviour um, because, you know, behaviour can sometimes be challenging and behaviour as we started school has been challenging uh, with some of the boys and some of the girls and I'm sure parents at home are finding behaviour a bit challenging. Yeah, Do you yeah. think there is a link between being absent from school for so long, returning to school and having all these new rules put in place like wearing masks, following one-way systems, regularly sanitising, being stuck in the same classroom, uh, and your teacher's approaching you, is, is there a link between that and, and perhaps poor behaviour and making bad decisions? Definitely. I mean, remember, stress is going to cause low mood, and low mood is going to cause um, negative behaviour. There's so many different reasons why, I mean, if you think about it, when, when a child comes into school happy, you've got your best chance of good behaviour. If there's anything that's going to derail that, um, it could be a, a fight at home, it could be some bad news, it could be even a football team losing, <laughs> then straight away... Um, the chance of the, the sort of the bad behaviour now increases the probability. We've got so many negative things going on in life at the moment. So each family might have their own different challenges. Um, we're definitely going to have an increase in, in bad behaviour, um, and we have to do it as parents and educators. We have to try and what we can do to try and sort of iron out some of the creases. We can't fix everything, but what can we do to sort of give that child a better quality of life? So what might you suggest then? I mean, I guess let's say let's say we do go into some sort of circuit breaker or some sort of uh, lockdown, or even if we don't, and a parent notices that you know one of their children or two of their children are behaving out of the ordinary, really playing up, answering back. Yeah, is that just normal teenage behaviour and they're growing up, or is it off the back of the fact that that child perhaps is in some way suffering and finding the whole COVID thing too difficult to deal with? How do we know? How do we make that distinction? We don't. We don't always know. And that's why the more that the parents, their antennas turned on, they're more in tune with what's going on with the kids, the more they'll be able to suss out what's happening. But they want to straight, let's, you know, let's go for the ABCs of mental health. Let's go for some exercise. You know, if we're, if we're cooped up, we're all like that. If we're cooped up for a Sunday, then what, why is it called Sunday Blues? Because, you know, one Sunday we're already sort of falling to pieces. This, if, if this has gone on for, for days on end and months, um, then what's that going to do? So let's get out let, whatever, when, when we can, 
Um, and let's go out for runs. Let's encourage the kids to go cycling. Let's try and play football games in the garden. Whatever we can do to try and um, that that is definitely a good first stop. And, and I think the second thing we're going to is is routine. Now, children, we all thrive on having a routine. But how can we? I mean, the question is, I guess, on the routine. How can we have routine when we really don't know what tomorrow is going to look like? We, we we don't know whether we're in in, in these different tiers and rules of six and lockdowns and whatever. So it's, I agree with you, exercise routine, it's, it's definitely worked for me. But isn't there anxiety around the idea of not even knowing what tomorrow is going to look like? Yes, absolutely. There's a lovely concept which has become very popular in the last two or three years um, in psychology called mindfulness. Mindfulness yes. is, is the idea that we, we, we very much want to be in the present now. So like so us, we're talking now. I'm not thinking about what's going to be for supper. I'm not thinking about what's going to be tomorrow. It's actually very therapeutic now. for me too, by the way. So we are right now we're sitting here, we are right now in the present, in the present mode. The more we can as a, a, try to sort of become make that into a habit that we become used to just focusing on right now. So I don't know what the rules are going to be tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to get worse or not. It's all speculation. We can we can talk about the baby, but if I can say right, right now, what can I do today? And I, I think it's very literally, you know that cliche of Taking each day as it comes, yeah, yeah. and they say it with a, a lot with when it comes to addiction. You know, each day, we don't look ahead for the week and say, "We say today, how am I going to keep myself safe?" So here we're going to say, "How are we going to keep ourselves healthy and happy today?" We're going to yeah. make a routine for today. Brilliant. And on that topic of mindfulness, I mean, it, yeah, it's something that we've I've come across in, in recent years as well. It, it, it's growing, uh, as always with psychology and perhaps you've experienced in your own career, there are going to be people out there saying, oh, mindfulness, don't be ridiculous, I'm not interested in this nonsense, you know, it's, it's not going to help me. Um, where might somebody, where could you direct somebody to to learn a little bit more about mindfulness and, and make their own decision about whether they think it can help them? Well, there's, I mean, nowadays there's so much stuff online, there's loads of different mindfulness apps, you can get some of them are free, um, so you can, you can experiment, I and mean, you just have to be with an open mind. I know a lot of people are very sceptical when it comes to emotional health because we don't often understand it, and also we're a bit scared of it. A lot of people, yeah, yeah. A lot of people sort of the whole world of emotional health, um, scares them. I think one of the ideas of what we're doing this podcast is to try and make it um, a lot more understandable and also something that we don't have to fear. Parents don't have to um, fear it. On the contrary, let, let's sort of, the more that we can be open with each other about our feelings and emotions, the more that we, we sort of get grasp on on emotional health. No, that's uh, that's that's great. Yeah, and looking forward, if we if we can, I mean, I know it's hard to look forward, but this, this idea of a of a circuit breaker or a potential future lockdown or, or whatever it might be, um, how can parents perhaps prepare both themselves and their children for what may lie ahead? I mean, you know, from an educational point of view, we'll have the online learning going and all that kind of stuff, which works for some students and it doesn't work for others. Yeah, yeah. Um, but how might our parents prepare themselves and prepare their children for what may or may not lie ahead? I know it's hard to say, but we just don't know, do we? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, when it, the fact that we've had it before, it's quite, you know, we, we often want to draw on a psychologist. We want to draw on the strengths of a person. And the experiences of the person. We've had this lockdown already before, probably in a, in a more, we don't know what's going to be, but probably in a more scary way than it will be um, in the future. And let's look at what we did well and what we didn't do well last time to say, you know what, if it does happen again, um, let's draw on that and let's see what we can improve. So You mean individual families, parents making their decisions? Yeah, parents, parents but let's look at what, what did we do in April and May? Yeah. What went well? Yeah. Um, what, what didn't go well? What can we change? What can we tinker? So that if it does happen, 
we're going to say, right, we're ready for this. Not that, oh my gosh, help, it's yeah. happened. No, so let's prepare, let's sort of prepare for it in a certain way um, that if it is going to happen, we're going to be, you know, well, more well equipped to be able to deal with it. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, the number of sort of hospitalizations, the number of deaths, I know they're increasing, but thank God they seem to be lower than they were in April, May. And now that we're sort of almost a year into this, it feels like anyway, um, certainly six, seven months into this, we know a lot more about it, even though we still need to learn a lot more. I guess, do you, th do you think that provides a level of comfort to people that we now know more about the fact that, uh, for example, young people are probably going to be asymptomatic and, and, and their, the risk to their lives is very, very low unless yeah, they have yeah. underlying condition, and the same for sort of you know, middle-aged people. Do you think that causes, or creates, excuse me, a, a sense of comfort for people? I think, I think probably for some people, um, it all d depends on how you look at it. Some people feel a bit more confident because, you know, we now know the devil. Other people are thinking, well, I don't really see uh, my way out yet. So there's a lot, a lot yeah. of anxiety about sort of, you know, how long. Uh, many, many people, there's actually done fascinating research where if somebody was told that you are going to be fired, they're often much better at dealing with that than not knowing whether they're going to be fired. Yeah. So the sort of like staying in the job was almost worse than actually getting fired from the job because right. it's just it's back to that uncertainty. uncertainty. Okay, look, I mean, as we start to sort of wrap up, let's 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 deal with some sort of practical elements for for our parents to, to, to deal with, you know, students. Um, so we've talked about students who display anxiety. We've talked about students who perhaps uh, have a, a more positive face at least and, and, and dealing with them. Yeah. Going forward, we've talked a little bit about behaviour as well and how to manage that. Um, if we do go into some sort of lockdown, this idea of, or even when students we've had a few already who've had to isolate for various reasons, they've been in contact with people or they're quarantining upon return from, from abroad. Um, online learning, uh, it works for some and it work, doesn't work for others. What can a parent do if their child is not engaging with the online learning platform? Because on the one hand, we've got this idea that some of them have exams coming up if they're in year 10, 11, 12, 13, they've got exams coming up. Uh, on the other hand, it's just this idea that if he's not engaging with the online learning, let it be. You know, what, what might a parent do? Is there is there such thing as doing too much and, and forcing your child to go down the wrong path if you insist too much on things? Well, it is very hard. And again, it sort of goes back, back to sort of knowing your child. Remember that the the sort of the, the natural um, behaviour of, of a human being is we're going to take the easy way. Okay, so we, we can't, we, we have to expect that many of the, of the children are going to say, oh, it's too hard and I can't concentrate and it's boring, this and that doesn't necessarily mean we have to say, oh yes, um, let him just have a nice holiday for the next uh, <laughs> yeah. two weeks. I think parents, you know, as much as possible, because it's very important for also for the team, have to support what the school's trying to do in terms of as much as we can do at home, let's try and do it. And again, it will be, it's going to get better the whole time because we get the technology, yeah. we're sort of understanding it more, it's not yeah. so far. And I remember, you know, at the beginning Zoom was like, oh my gosh, what's Zoom? And now we're... You experts. Know, we're, we're all experts. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I, I think parents have to encourage as much as possible if they are aware that uh, particular children, a, they may have attentional difficulties, um, or it's just something that's beyond their scope. <clears throat> then they have to accept that we're living in sort of difficult times, and therefore that means we may have to sort of take our foot off the gas, and our expectations have to be reduced as well. Right. What about students and individuals who have? Um, diagnoses along the lines of ADD, ADHD, um, ODD and things like that. You know, they're, they're students who find uh, school difficult and home life difficult at the best of times in a non-COVID world. You know, any any advice for our parents who have children who might be ADHD, ADD or you know, something along those lines, 
of dealing with students who, in school, for example, we're finding it problematic having an ADHD boy or girl stuck in the same classroom for the entire day, uh, not given much area to or much room for manoeuvre. We're finding that incredibly difficult. I'm sure parents are finding that difficult at home, and especially if we go into a circuit breaker or a lockdown of any kind where, where an ADHD boy or girl has to stay at home. What advice might you give to parents in that situation? So if, it, if let's say, your children, you know, some of them, we're going to see this, I think, more, even if we don't go into circuit breaker, we're going to find a lot of kids are going to have their uh, self-isolation. They're going to have to be in quarantine for two weeks because more and more people are going to get affected. Yeah. If they are going to be at home, um, and you do, and you know that they're sort of finding it hard to concentrate. Then, in some ways, they can. There's a, there's the opportunity there. They can even do better than in school. They don't have to sit through necessarily a 45 minute lesson. They can walk around and, and, and still listen. Let's be imaginative. If they if they're sort of listening to a lesson as they're walking in the garden, if they're having breaks, if they're pausing it and they're just having a, a drink. Yeah. Um, so really try to work around sort of what your child needs, but be imaginative. And let, let them sort of um, get out a bit, have a, have a, a balanced day. We want a balanced day, so yeah. we want to make sure that they're not sitting down for too long, but equally they're not relaxing for too long either. So, But what about whilst we're still in school? So in school, these ADHD kids mm -hmm. are struggling, some of them, yeah. really struggling. They might go home and their behaviour is very poor at home. You know, how can a parent deal with that? Because in the school, we're very limited on what we, uh, you know, our buildings are not very, uh, as we all know, we have not the best buildings in the world, we have not the size and the space that we need for these for these students, certainly the boys' school. Um, so in, in the current moment, when an ADHD child goes home, has had a really difficult day, has been told off all over the place, and, and, you know, and that behaviour is very poor at home, how can a parent perhaps deal with that individual and calm the situation down? Well, the best is when they've come home from school, wind down. So if they, if they can go from school, they come home, they eat, yeah. with, you know, food, we know if they get hunger and mood are not great. Hangry. Um, my wife will agree with that as well, <laughs> tell me. Um, but if we can, if we can get to a stage where um, they are, they're eating, but they're also winding down. So before, if they've got homework, they've still got, let's say, a good half an hour, maybe an hour, that they can relax and that, that allows them to then sort of have more energy to then go and do the homework. It's too intense for them to go from school all the way to a high intense environment at home. So if they can have a timeout, go go into their bedroom, chill and, out a bit. And, and should parents then be laying off? Should they be sort of you know taking a bit of a take their foot off the gas a little bit and let the let the let the individual let the students not you know not do what they want? Of course, it's going to be lovely, you know, yeah, yeah, boundaries just, in place. But should there be an element of okay, look, we can see he's had a really bad day today. We can see he or she's in a really really bad mood. Perhaps tonight. Will say if homework's not done, it's not done. But then, of course, when they come into school the next day with no homework, they're getting in trouble in school. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. such a hard balance, isn't it, for everybody at the moment? It is very hard balance, and we just all have to be sort of understanding of the fact that a lot of the, a lot of people are suffering. If someone's got ADHD, very often they're also might have some anxiety because often goes hand in hand. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of challenges, and the more the parents can be sort of understanding of it, and maybe at schools as well. Um, <laughs> we, we do our best, but, but it's, it is very hard. I think we just have to sort of, um, as we're saying, sort of taking each day as it comes, and not getting panicked that oh my gosh, if this carries on, then he's going to fail his GCSEs. We yeah. all want our kids to do well, and the good old um, Jewish parent, you know, is it, really very driven and and, and and putting a lot of pressure on, but. Yeah. At this situation is when we have to sometimes say, you know, let's look after the child more than our own aspirations. Yeah, and should parents, uh, I mean, obviously parents, most parents are working full-time themselves, whether they're in the office or, or working from home or whatever it might be. 
should should they be perhaps you know should there be more responsibility on parents to communicate with schools uh, and to let schools know in the morning that my sons or daughters had a really bad night or you know this is the issue or uh, he's struggling with the workload or she's not able to cope with um, a, p a particular teacher or whatever it might be should there be much more communication now i mean i'm finding my emails are you know my email inbox is, is, is being flooded at the moment more than it would have been pre-covid but I don't mind that, I guess. It's part of the job. Should parents be communicating with the school much more? Yes, very often they don't because there's not enough. I bet Callie's around. Oh, you're very kind. Um, Gosh. Sit me a panel later. Um, uh, but yes. but it, it, essentially, parents probably would if they knew that there was an address or the school had the facilities to be able to cope with it. Very, unfortunately, the world, if you just look at, uh, I mean, there's headlines now about how um, waiting lists for, for therapy is now months are there. So parents very often would love to be able to share some of the burden but don't really have an address to it. Of course, we would love that. It would be great if we had a situation where everyone's working together. Yeah. Um, and they should share it, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, look, any, any sort of last uh, bits of advice or guidance for our parents who, who, who might be listening in terms of dealing with their, dealing with their teenage children in a, in a COVID world? Well, it's, 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 it's the fact that we're talking about this now, we never could have anticipated such a situation in the world. But we also have to believe, and we've all probably seen it in our own lives, that difficulties, challenges often bring out the best in us. And we're going to be talking about this, please God, 10 years, 20 years time, 30 years time, they're always going to remember Absolutely. COVID, yeah. you know, 2019, 2020. So with that in mind, I think we, as much as we can, you know, if we can try and make sure that we can put into place an environment at home, which our children are going to remember, because it was really hard that winter. We managed, we were together, um, it was okay, then, you know, you're, you're providing a wonderful platform for children to know that when challenges come, we're not going to fall apart, we're going to you know, do our best and we're going to cope, and that is our aim of the game, we're going to cope no matter what. No, that's fantastic, thank you. Um, look, I guess that just leads me to say uh, a huge thank you to, to you, Mr. Yakopar. that's really informative, I hope it's been informative for those who are listening and provided with some provided you with some sort of advice and uh, and guidance and some tips perhaps um if you have any feedback if you have anything that you want to to say you want to add um please do get in touch with me a dot kelly that's k-a-l-l-e-y a dot kelly at hasmanian.co.uk and hopefully all being well as long as we have more than at least five listeners to this this, this podcast um i'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next podcast with uh with my next guest so um Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mr. Barr.